I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. We are recording this on Monday, October 11, which is both Indigenous Peoples Day and National Coming Out Day. Is it really? I know. They coincided this year. It's also International Day of the Girl. Oh, my gosh. There is so much today. All the days. Now I understand why it's a federal holiday. So we can all just sit in contemplation of all of the peoples. But why? So I'm so confused why there's federal holidays, but like my kids are still in school. Yeah. It's so funny. I had a meeting before this and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm... I wasn't sure if you all would be here today because of the holiday. And they were like, yeah, why are we here? We have today off. <laughs> and um, my husband works for the government and he's working today. Yeah, mine too. But he gets time and a half because it's a holiday. So he's stoked. <laughs> uh, mm, I wonder if mine does. Yeah, we were talking last night and he's, I said, wow, why don't you stay home tomorrow? Maybe we can get some house projects done. And he's like, I can't I have a meeting. And I was like, a meeting that nobody's going to show up to because they're going to wake up in the morning and realize it's a holiday and they're not going to come. I can't wait for the report back of your <laughs> husband sitting in a conference room by himself. <laughs> well, to be fair, his meetings happen in the woods. So he'll just be standing, <laughs> standing in, in the middle the of the woods by, by himself. <laughs> I'm sure there's some joke in there about a tree I'm falling, sure. but I'm not going to get it. <laughs> yeah. And a bear pooping. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how was your weekend? Uh, it was fine, but I think we owe our listeners an update on um, my birthday celebration. Yes. Um, first off, we did not go hungry, which was our big concern. We ate so much. We were uncomfortably full. It was amazing. So much. It was so good. So good. I love it when a meal is an event. It and was. And we were there for a good two, two and a half hours. Yeah. Looking out at the skyline in Denver on a beautiful patio. I mean, it was just exquisite. Yes. So nice. Followed by. (laughs) And then we left and we checked out the Van Gogh immersive experience. There's two. There's two. I don't know. We went to one of them. I don't know. We went to the one that is attached to like student housing for somehow for some reason. It is, yes. Yes. Okay, so let's just set the scene. Um, The the show itself is a video on a loop. And so you have a timed ticket, but it's just like a period of time. So people are coming in throughout. We didn't know we were coming in at the end of the current loop. And we walk into this dark room, music blaring, and people just languishing. (laughs) lounging lounging i mean bodies just everywhere yeah it was weird it i wish i had known a little bit about what we were walking into (laughs) it was a little weird but we found our spot and then we realized it was ending and we watched the whole thing again from the beginning from the beginning it took us on an emotional journey i i cried i laughed i did actually (laughs) you did i did and it was this moment of like, am I crying because I'm scared? I don't know what, what the tears are about right now, but I'm really, I don't think I like these emotions. 
It was intense. It was so intense. I have found the older I get, the more I have, um, I'm prone to sensory overload. That's That was happening so intensely. Yeah, so like when my kids come up and they're trying to talk to me and there's music playing in the background and then Gabriel's calling my name and then I'm trying to, like I freak out. Like I can't too much. do, it's too much. And it was like all of that, which is the point of it. I, I mean, that's. That's sure. what they're attempting to do. They overloaded my senses. Um, and yes. afterwards, I was informed that there were earplugs I could have taken, which if I had known, I definitely would have worn. Yeah, it was loud. It was so loud. And it, so, and it was on the screens that were 360 and then on the floor and on the ceiling. So mm-hmm. it was really everywhere. Yeah. There was one shot where like the camera's moving through a field and I got mm-hmm. so nauseous and had to close my eyes <laughs> yeah there was one where the floor started moving oh, and going God. up the wall and that's where I'm like is it moving am I moving what's happening I gotta say I'm not a fan of substances but I cannot imagine being in that space and high on anything I would have flipped the fuck out Okay, I'm going to say I am a fan of substances and (laughs) (laughs) and even, you know, I even questioned that. At first I was like, wow, I did not plan ahead. I didn't realize that that's what this was going to be. I feel like I missed an opportunity. And but then once we got in there and it got kind of scary I thought, I don't know if I could have taken it. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, there's our warning. (laughs) What's funny is a few days later, I was having dinner with some friends and they had gone literally earlier the day we went. Oh, really? They freaking loved it. Absolutely loved it. Oh, everybody loves it. I mean, it's like all over the world. This thing is traveling everywhere. And, you know, at the end of the day... Art is really about provoking a reaction, right, or a feeling, <laughs> and it worked. Like we de- we had lots of feelings. It provoked all the feelings, all all the feelings in rapid succession. Like I was, was just like, sad. Doo, 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 doo. I was happy. happy. I was angry. I was confused. <laughs> I was bright lights. It was pitch black. It was. You know, bold colors. It was dark colors. Yeah, it was all the things. All of the things. <laughs> but once again, thank you, Brittany. It was an amazing night. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm glad we had a good celebration for your birthday. We did. Um, also, Office Max celebrated my birthday. And I have to share this because I am legitimately so fucking thrilled. What is it? Do okay. you get a discount? No. It, it actually has nothing to do with my birthday. Just great timing. So there are these pens that I adore. G2s? Mm-mm. 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 These were special issue last year. I didn't know they were special edition. Otherwise, I would have bought a shit ton of them. And the stores have been out for months. Only you would be into special edition pens. Well, what's funny is not only am I, but somebody else you know is too. I love them so much that for holiday gifts last year for my team, I got everybody some. And so then I got one of our friends um, on the same pen train. And she has equally been upset that they've been out to the point where she talked to her local Office Depot to find out when they would come back in stock. I know exactly who you're talking about. I know you do. (laughs) Uh So they're supposed to be in stock October 4th, last Monday. 
and they yep. weren't. And then I had Ooh. dinner with her Thursday night. Supply chain. Supply chain. I know. They still weren't on, in stock Thursday night when I was with her. Saturday, I was like, you know, I'll just check. I'm, it's been 48 hours. Brittany, they had the fucking pens. Hallelujah. So both of us <laughs> maxed out. We each got five packs, which is all they would let us buy. Five packs? <laughs> and they're not inexpensive. <laughs> my god i what and they limit you on it they do i mean they don't want another situation where we're calling asking for pens i guess are they different colors like the ink yeah i've got because i saw all those colors there peach purple green three different blues a black a gray and do you really use the different colors ink i don't use them as much i mostly use the black and the blue but i mean they just write so beautifully that it's the kind of thing where you're like, I should be typing this out, but I'm going to write it because it just feels better. <laughs> Is Do you, like, what are the chances that one of those end up in my stocking this year? Oh, I mean, I love you, oh, Brittany. wow. I wow. don't know. I'm not pen worthy is what you're telling me. We'll see. I, now Jimmy, that I know that they're a scarce resource, I, I just have a different perception about them in my life. Oh, my God. Well, just, like, throw me a peach one or something. Okay, yeah, I don't like that color. That'll work. Exactly, exactly. I want to try it out, and I, I will report back. The queen <laughs> of just, like, digging in a drawer in my house and trying to find one that writes, like, that's my pen of choice okay one more pen story and then we actually have to get to this so we'll get feedback on talking too long (laughs) (laughs) so my grandma has worked in offices for years and whenever she would move an office she would just like collect all of her supplies and then she always had a home office too and so I was making fun of her when we were when I was visiting over Labor Day because she has bins and bins of pens and highlighters and markers which she does not need in her life Um, And I jokingly said, oh, I'll take some for the campaign. And then I never actually did. So she sent me with my birthday gift a gallon-sized Ziploc filled with pens and markers, including a note on it that she had hand-tested everyone and they still worked. Oh, Grandma, that's so sweet. Isn't that the sweetest thing ever? That's so sweet. And half of them are from businesses that closed down in the 90s. For sure. I love it. But you know what? If they still work... That's a damn good pen. That is a damn good pen. They don't make them like that anymore. They really don't. They really don't. (laughs) All right. Well, screw our weekends. We don't have time to talk about them. You'll just have to sit and wonder what the hell we did. Yeah. We didn't want to tell you anyway. Exactly. I got a joke for you, though. Give it to me. And again, I'm trying to do my best to tie it to today's subject matter or the season or what we're experiencing in this moment. Mm-hmm, That's a little mm-hmm. little clue for you. Mm-hmm. What is Captain Hook's least favorite social media? Um, Facehook. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. <All> right. <laughs> that is quite the image, though. I really yeah. enjoy that. No, it's uh, TikTok. Uh, cause of the the, the, cl- the cl- yeah, and the crocodile. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. There we go. I love it. I love it. <sighs> so very apropos about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, 
I don't know how we've gone this long without talking about social media in nonprofits. So true. So true. And now we have to because of what happened last week. Yes. Um, we had Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp down for what, like six hours? And then we had another blip last Friday. Really? Yeah. It was, um, as my kids would say, sus. <laughs> <laughs> I stole that joke actually from a friend of mine. But it was. It was super sus. It was super sus. 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 Mm hmm. Supposedly, somebody with an angle grinder had to come in and, like, break open a cage to the servers at Facebook. No. That's that's what I heard on Twitter. Are they making a movie about it? Quite possibly. Yeah. And I do love that because those ones were down, everybody flocked to Twitter and TikTok to talk about it. <laughs> right. Totally. It was so fun. That's all my feed was, was just talking about everything else being down. Yeah. Exactly. Which are the two um, platforms I'm not personally on. Twitter and Instagram? Twitter or and TikTok. 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 Yeah. Which is so funny because a year ago, you were going to start mm-hmm. dancing and shaking your ass on TikTok for the pod. And that it never was. happened. It's just, it was too too steep of a learning curve. I couldn't figure it out. Disappointed in you. I know. So... Were you working in a nonprofit when social media started to become a thing? Absolutely. What do you remember back to times your? Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. I got to now I actually have to see what year would that be? I want to say it was like the late 2000s that it started opening up outside of individual accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I started like an organizational account till 2011, which might have been late. 2011 gosh it's so funny as I think back um absolutely I was working somewhere because I've only ever worked in nonprofits and I've been working in them for over 20 years but I don't know if I can identify that one moment did we just find a crack in your resume are you actually have you been lying to us this whole time Well, I mean, the super sad part of it is that I worked in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. So it was it was interesting back then, right? Because it was just coming to be. We were still trying to figure out how social media was like part of our lives. Um, I know I was an early adopter on Facebook when as an individual, not for an organization. Um but when it was like essentially an online Rolodex, like there was no f- news feed. It was just other people at my college with me. Right. And then right. it started expanding to other universities. And then the real downfall of Facebook was when they opened it up to our parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's so mean. But it was true at the time. That's when everybody was like, we have to, we have to find something new because now my mom can see everything I'm posting. True, true, true. As if you're posting anything you wouldn't want your mom to see. I mean, not me, but other people who are worse than I am. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) People like me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And so then it became this thing in nonprofits, and I'm sure you've heard this, Brittany. It was free marketing, quote unquote, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The number of times I fucking heard that. So listeners, 
let me just tell you this. Is it free to be on the platforms? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is it free to have an employee develop a social media strategy and implement it? Absolutely fucking not. Nope, not at all. And it takes a ton of time and energy to manage it and to manage them effectively. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like there are some organizations that just use it as like a general update platform. Like, here's what's happening. Oh, no, our phone lines are down. Our phone lines are back up. Come to our event. So there's that kind of social media and presence. And that's, def- that's definitely how I remember it starting. Yeah. And then it started to get more into the, like the thought leadership space. Like, look at us. We we read these reports. We're, we're <laughs> on these panels talking about this important stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we started to differentiate between different social media platforms because we realized there are different people on each of them engaging in different content. Or did we? Because I feel like at first we just posted the same information on all the platforms. And then we realized that that's not an effective use of your content. Right. And full disclosure, if you follow the nonprofit Reframe social media, it is the exact same content on both. Yeah. Because who has fucking time? Exactly. But if somebody did have the time and they did their research and they found the different um, who their different audiences were on each platform, they could tailor their messaging. Totally. I mean, organizations that have actual social media managers can totally utilize them to drive awareness, drive traffic, drive donations. Like they can be amazing tools and – it's a ton of time and energy to manage them. Yes. Uh, I do I, – I also really enjoy going and, like, finding dead accounts for organizations, like the ones that they used to use, and then nobody gave the login credentials over when they left the organization, so they had to create oh new ones. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> uh, I did – that just absolutely gives me heartburn thinking about that. <laughs> The number of times, and have you ever tried to contact those agencies? It's awful. It's awful. Awful. Like whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. Hey, no, no, no. I I swear I work at the organization. No, no. You can't send anything to that email. That email's dead. We don't have access to it anymore. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like you have to prove – you have to go through 12 steps to prove that you actually – who you say you are, working at the organization that you are. I mean, it's – they got that shit locked down yeah. is my point. Which is why you will find accounts that haven't had a post on them since 2015. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. But let, let's tie this in to fundraising, um, especially as we're getting into year-end giving season. Mm-hmm. We're about to see um, – a social media presence from organizations we haven't seen in six months. Um, We're going to see a lot of asks. Colorado Gives Day, we know, is just so social media heavy. So I've got some data for you. Oh, that's great. Let's hear it. We're going to start off. 29% of online donors say that social media is the communication tool that most inspires them to give. It's over a quarter of all online donors. That's wow. Significant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
87% of donors who first donate from a social referral source make their second donation from a social referral source. So if people are giving via your Instagram post, Mm -hmm. they're likely to do it in that same way. Um, 71% of nonprofits worldwide, this is a global stat, 71% agree that social media is effective for online fundraising. Mm. Hmm. That surprises me too. That's a big number. What's your online fundraising via social media like these days? Um, well, it has helped with some of these platforms that have started having an integration with mm. social media platforms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your giving platform who then integrates with the social media platform yep. makes it a lot easier. Um, but not every organization has the resources to pay for that. So um, it's hard. And, you know, of course, these platforms like Facebook and stuff started, you know, add a donate button to your page. And they hold on to so much of the information and you don't get it. It's such a pain in the ass. Yeah. So let, let's differentiate that because I think that point is really key. And I don't want listeners to get lost in this. So we've got online donation forms, donation systems that we are integrating with our social media to drive traffic to those forms. And those forms, whether we're hosting them on our site or one of these other donation processing kind of groups – then we get the donations, we get the info and all of that. Now, Facebook especially has its own giving platform that now they they have their processors. So you go online, you give through Facebook, that money goes through Facebook. They get a cut, of course. They get a cut. And then the information on who donated is very limited in terms of what goes back to the organization. So you you can't cultivate these donors it's just, it's very transactional. So we look like the asshole because we can't give a proper acknowledgement of the gift. Right. Well, and to your point, um, this stat comes from Classy, who, you know, big online donation event platform. Um, so grain of salt that this is just their data. But they say social media drives 57% of traffic to fundraising campaign pages. Yeah. So that's a lot. I mean, that's, First off, more than half, and I would have thought that it would have been the email communications that was doing that, but they're saying social media is really no, the driver. No, 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 Social media for sure. And I mean, to be clear, these are more peer-to-peer campaigns, right? So um, it's your birthday and you want to raise money for your favorite organization or it's your favorite walk or run that supports – this mission that um, is near and dear to your heart. So you're you're trying to send those out to your network, specifically your friends and family. Um, and, you know, every time I've done that, sure, I've done that blanket email, that mass email that nobody reads. But mostly it's through my social media because, you know, then my college friends that I don't even have an email for – or old high school friends, then they see it and they give. So, Yeah, so that's a really important point, too. Like, that's your personal Facebook page, right? Not the organizations. Oh, exactly. True, true. So here we go. Another great stat for this. Um, Facebook posts, on average, only reach 4% of a nonprofit page's fans. 
Well, that's messed up. Right? Because of their algorithms? Yeah. What? Why wouldn't they want to help out nonprofits? <laughs> come, come on, Zuckerberg. So, but this is a really interesting thing, right? We, when we're trying to optimize and utilize social media, we forget that although we've got, you know, 2,000 followers, such a small segment is actually seeing our posts. And so using individuals to repost, to share their Facebook fundraising pages, to just share the content is actually where we're getting a ton of our reach. Yeah, it's paramount. Yeah. Have you ever bought ads? Yes. What do you think about ads? Um, you know, they have the whole analytics ad manager side of things that allegedly tells you how many people have seen your ads and you can um, customize your audience so you to some extent. So you could say, I want people within, you know, this geographic range of women in this age range with this size income. Um, I don't know if they do income on Facebook. But anyways, you can customize it to a certain extent. And then it'll show you how many people within that group has seen your ad. But I don't know if they've seen the ad. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know I have ads that follow me. I think it works. Mm-hmm. I mean, what has your experience been? Yeah, I... Obviously, you can do ads to do a bunch of different things. Um, it could be to increase your followers. It could be to increase engagement on a specific post. It could be pushing out a specific fundraising ask. Um, I find that that is the least effective. Yeah. You know, it, it, if they aren't already engaged with us, why are they going to donate? <laughs> yeah. Where we've seen ads be more effective <clears throat> is um, – well, maybe when we're advertising an event that's coming up, so tickets on sale, that kind of thing, we've also used it for hiring. Mm-hmm, totally. So I think it's also interesting to think about the cost associated with these ads and donor acquisition. Mm-hmm. So we know on average, if you're doing direct mail to acquire donors, it's 40 to $60 per donor, per new donor that you're spending. Interesting. Do you think that social media is more or less expensive? Less. $67. Really? Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating. We definitely don't spend that much in advertising. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think it's an interesting thing, too, because there is this sense that social media is almost like this democratizing thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's accessible to every nonprofit. You could be teeny tiny. You could be huge. And I, I I hear this from boards all the time telling my clients, we just need a better social media presence. We just need more of this. We just need more of that. And you got to be really specific about what your goals are. If your do- goals are to acquire new donors, get ready to put a lot of money behind it. Yeah, right. Like that doesn't just happen organically. That isn't part of how social media works. If you're using it to increase volunteer um, recruitment, or maybe it's just like community engagement, like those kinds of efforts I think are much more effective. Um, But if it's really specifically around acquiring new donors, you're going to be better suited using peer fundraising tactics where they can use social media. They don't have to. Obviously, there are a lot of different ways to do peer fundraising, but leveraging those folks instead of just the platform. 
Interesting. I would not have guessed that at all. But that maybe um, tells me a little bit more information why I have not gained that many new donors through social media. <laughs> Am I putting your experience into context? <laughs> yeah, I just, I guess I didn't, I because I'm not investing that much, so. Yeah. What about Twitter for nonprofits? You know, that is your domain. You tell me about it. I know very little about it. I think it's an interesting one. Um, Again, mostly because I hear this primarily from board members again. I don't know that I've ever heard a nonprofit client say any of this. I feel like Twitter is a space for maybe more on that thought leadership side of things, like where you're really able to share what's happening in your field, um, be able to be very um, reactionary. Um, And I mean that in a positive way, like this event happened and within 30 minutes you've got a response out and you're talking about it and you're helping lead some of the dialogue in these spaces. In order to do that, though, you need a ton of time and expertise. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen organizations who are using it like all the other platforms. Like we're just going to throw out our events and our volunteer recruitment and that is not what is happening on Twitter at all. Um. I thought this was really interesting. So this is a global report. They say, on average, small nonprofits have 4,242 followers. Yep. Which is a ton. That's a lot. That's That's for small nonprofits. Medium have 17,700 some. And large have 39,000. Really? In comparison, I have 227. (laughs) And yet, your tweets have been nationally recognized. What? Haven't they? You've gotten retweeted. You Remember you said the thing about the article um, about the billionaire. Oh, yeah. oh and there and was then, that one time I, I calculated out the Lowe's gift and the yes. lawnmower. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I've had two tweets that got some traction. But you had a reporter call you and then... And then get quoted for an article, which then led to a creepy ass guy sending you a letter calling you a leftist socialist nut job. And it's all because of Twitter. And it's all because of Twitter. Thanks, Jack. So it just just goes to show you don't need (laughs) 17,000 to make ripples. And maybe it's just because I hear from you all the time about Twitter, but I feel like Twitter's the place you go where you want to shake stuff up. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of like the spaces that you're in on Twitter. Like if you want to poke the bear, do it on Twitter. Totally. Yeah. Um, that is funny because the, I'm now realizing the two times that anything I've tweeted has gotten any traction. It's because. Because <laughs> you poked the bear. I poked the b- bear, but with calculated data in an Excel file that I shared. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Oh, I'm such a nerd. Wow. That just means you can't be messed with. It's like it's not, it wasn't just your opinion. It was That's fact. True. That's true. It is backed. Um, okay, so Instagram. Give it Let's to me. Shift over there. Fifty percent of nonprofits worldwide have an Instagram profile. So this is kind of how I wait. Fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is how I kind of remember it going. It's like okay, Facebook. So we're all on Facebook. 
Um, but it's like a younger generation. Oh, wait, now, like you're saying, the parents got involved. So actually, we could use this to um, talk to our boomers. Um, and then, like, there was a mass exodus of young people to Instagram. So if we still want to connect with them, we got to go to Instagram. So we all go to Instagram, too. And then all of a sudden... Um, those same young people that went to Instagram were like, fuck this, we're going to Snapchat. And then we were all like, we're done. <laughs> it's too much change. We're too old now. We can't do it. We can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, the, similar. Like, I tried Snapchat for a bit, and I just couldn't get into it. It's not my thing. No. And I think this gets back to one of the things you said early on. Like, so much of this is maintaining trends and what's happening and how people are talking about things and what kind of content they're creating. Most of us have zero time for that. It just moves so fast. Yeah. I mean, it's constantly changing. And then a new platform comes on like TikTok and you're like, what the fuck? Now we got to do a video and be funny. Let's talk about TikTok because I think it is such an interesting platform. You love TikTok. I love TikTok. I do. I, I, I'm I that classic um, story of the elder millennial who joined it during the pandemic as a joke and has fully committed to TikTok time every day. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fascinating. When, because when, when is that TikTok time? Is that first thing in the morning? No, because usually my husband is still asleep. Um, okay. But it's like whenever I take a bathroom break, it's definitely uh-huh. lunchtime. Um, it's when I get really frustrated and I need to calm back down. Mm-hmm. TikTok is interesting because um, unlike most of the other platforms, it's anonymized. Like, I don't know any of these people in real life. I'm not fo- – like, I follow my brother and one friend, and I think that's about it. Right. But everything else is people I don't know. And the algorithm is so amazing. I don't understand it. I don't understand – computer science, so I'm not going to try to explain it. But the way that it knows based on your engagement with posts that like you want more BIPOC queer content of them dancing and then it provides it to me in the next 30 minutes. Are you fucking kidding me? But that's what scares me when it comes to kids. Oh, yeah. Oh, Which I know. That's a whole nother thing. Which should be scary. Yeah. Yeah. But it's because of that algorithm. Because they just got to click one time on something that's inappropriate. And then there's like 30 more videos there. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like YouTube. I was just going to say. I mean, like the parental control side of things. Yeah. Whoa. I would be so scared as a parent. Luckily, I don't have to worry about my cats getting involved. So I'm good on that front. (laughs) Um, But it it is an interesting platform. And I've seen a couple of nonprofits like dip their toes. But TikTok is so, 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 so trend heavy. Like this song has this dance. You've got 48 hours to get it out. Otherwise, you're obsolete. Yeah. Yep. People are responding to this sound, making this joke. You've got 24 hours. Like the big thing last week was Couch Guy. No idea. Yeah. Essentially, this girl goes to visit her long-term boyfriend, surprises him, and he gets off the couch and it's just like – something's not right and he's sitting on the couch with another girl and some other friends and you're like "Uh oh is he cheating and so it's just like spiraled to all these people making memes of it making jokes about it making spinoffs with their cats which of course is the content that I'm really there for um but all of this like if you miss your moment 
You've missed it's it. Over. Yeah. I know. Which is why these, I mean, I know we're going down a rabbit hole here, but that's why this concept of influencers <clears throat> completely blows my mind. Mm-hmm. The fact that they have to be so on it. Right. Right. Well, to and be I, relevant or they're, or they're not relevant anymore. Well, and I think this all gets back to like, what are your goals? What are you really trying to do? Right. I've got clients who are working with young folks who are almost exclusively on TikTok and Snapchat. And so if their goal is to actually engage their program participants, they kind of need to be too. Yeah. Like this comes back to what we were talking about, I think it was last week, on like donor engagement and the stories we're telling and how we're doing that. Our social media should also be reflective of that. It can be specific to the audience we're engaging with on each platform, but it's got to be relevant and it's got to really take into account all of those values. Like Mm -hmm. if all we're saying on Facebook and Instagram is so donor-centric – and some of our program participants engage with that, like, are they really right. going to feel like their voice is part of that, like they are part of that story, versus right. if they're on TikTok and they see, I love this, the Longmont Children, Youth, and Family Services, who's also on TikTok, doing silly dances with them. Little shout out. I know. They're, they're one of my favorite accounts to follow because they're local and they're out there doing the silly stuff and engaging oh, with their awesome. participants. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that is, um, for nonprofits, that's really difficult, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about it all the time in marketing, too, about it's not like you just have this one widget that you're trying to sell. Right. And, and so your marketing for it is very specific, like how to sell this widget to your target audience. Right. When you're working in nonprofits and you have multiple audiences. for Totally. And so how are you using these communication channels like social media um, to better target that? And Mm -hmm. again, it goes all the way back to what you're talking about. That takes time. It takes time. This all harkens to a recent conversation I was having with a client during a board retreat um, when the... uh, We had the board members in like small groups talking about some of their strategic priorities And one of the outcomes from one of the groups was all about social media strategy and talking about this. And and they they serve a wide range of ages, including teens. And so, you know, this board member was accurately saying, like, TikTok and Snap, like, those are the places we need to be, especially if we're using this to engage. Um, And it was a great opportunity um, for their board chair to say, yes, and our role as as a board member is actually not to push that strategy forward. (laughs) Um, our role is to support the staff. So if that is genuinely a strategic priority, we need to look at the budget. How are we equipping our team? Do we have the capacity to do all of that? And of course, the answer at the time was absolutely not. Right. Um, But I think it was a really helpful generative conversation to think through both board roles from a social media standpoint, but also then how to equip an organization to do it and do it well. When we keep saying social media is just like on the desk of the development director or if you're lucky enough, a marketing director, and we're saying be on every platform and speak specifically to that audience and create content and do this and do that, are we actually going to be able to get the outcomes we intend? Probably not. Right. Well, I, I'm going to use that statistic about 4% that when you post something, only 4% of your supporters see it. Yeah. Because, you know, so often we talk about, 
you know, whether it's an event coming up or that sort of thing, we implore our board members to share that information on their social media, right? Mm -hmm. And we're like, just share the post, copy and paste right. it, like do whatever. Um, I feel like so few of them actually do, which yeah. I'm going to get back to in a second. And um, and this is such a good reason of why we're asking that because right. we cannot get that exponential exposure unless multiple people are sharing it to their networks, right? right? Totally. Because if we just post it to our own page, we know only 4% are really going to see it. Totally. Yep. Um, and so the second thing is it kind of goes around board members being nervous about asking people for money, mm. right? And I feel like sometimes when they share something, and I'm wondering what you think, Sometimes when they are being asked to share stuff on their social media, it's like they're um, harassing their networks <laughs> about something. What is your feeling about that? Uh, oh, I think that's just so funny. Like, um, and I don't think that's how people engage with social media. Like, if I'm posting something as a board member, I'm saying this is something I'm interested in. Hey, friends who like me, at least like me enough to follow me, you might be interested in this as well. So, and I think it, it, like you said, it comes back to like that fear around fundraising that like somehow by indicating that you're involved with a cause and they could be too, we're like into like massive fundraising gifts. And that like all of this is not based in reality. So I find that interesting because I believe the same thing. I don't see it at all on social media as like your selling something I mean you are to an extent but it's so common on social media and it's also just like you're saying sharing something that you feel strongly about yeah. right so the other day a friend of mine has started tie-dyeing and she's like I mean like to oh. the next level the next level tie-dye like amazing amazing stuff and she gave me this sweatshirt that I thought was so flipping beautiful and so talented right mm -hmm. so I took a picture of it she's my friend wanted to help her out also thought people should see how gorgeous her stuff is right mm -hmm. put it on my social media hey check out this great tie-dye if you're interested you should check out her Etsy store well it worked this one of my brother's friends saw it and reached out to my friend who does the tie-dyeing and she sent her this message, and this is what I thought was interesting. And I know we're kind of getting off topic, but it all comes back. <laughs> Hello, my friend pitched one of your shirts and wanted to ask if you could make another one. So just by posting me in this sweatshirt and saying, hey, if you like this, check it out. She, I, I thought it was so fascinating that she used the term pitched. Pitched, Yeah. That's, and so, that is interesting. And so it goes back to, do people feel like just by sharing something, are they are they pitching it? Like, are yeah. they? Huh. That, yeah, that that's blowing my mind right now. Because I saw that post and I immediately went to her Etsy store and already have oh. liked a couple things and oh. can't wait to see what comes next. Um, and it, I mean, it's like how we support small businesses, right? Like. You just post that stuff and make sure other people know about it. It's not pitching. Exactly. So I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I, I feel like people have different impressions of what social media 
is four. Is four. And when yep. and when you're active on it all the time, maybe you're desensitized to that stuff, and it, or you just be. have seen it so much that it's mm-hmm. NBD. Yeah. But so one more stat to help with your discussion with your board. Oh, thank you so much. Please. Okay, so on average, for every thousand email subscribers, nonprofits have an average of 199 Facebook followers. So I'm just going to round up to 200 and say you have about 20% of your email list on social media. Not saying those are the same people. But then when you take open rates, right, like the average nonprofit open rate I think is like 20 to 25%. Yes, so I agree. So you're hitting 200, 250 people per thousand on your email list. But on social media, you have 200 and you're hitting 4% of them. Yes. You're hitting eight yes. folks? Like, and I, I know we're getting long here, but I'm going to make one more point around that, which is I got so many emails from different coaches, like business coaches that I subscribe to and whatever, on the shutdown last Monday mm-hmm. that talked about this is why it is so important as a business owner, so even as a nonprofit, for you to really put first and foremost cultivating your email list because you own it. And if you are dependent on social media for all of your communication and yep. it goes down. You're fucked. You're fucked. Yeah. I know we've got some social media managers out there whose executive directors or somebody was like, why aren't you posting? And they were like, because Facebook's down. And they were like, why don't you fix that? And they were like, because I don't run Facebook. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Shout out to all of those folks because we we know you're going through it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's such a good point. I mean, this is part of the multimodal communication that we talk about, especially from a fundraising and volunteer recruitment context. Um, and why there is no one solution. Exactly. Yeah. I guess more of the story, social media is a tool. If you've got it focused in on what your goals are, it can be an effective tool. It can also be a really expensive tool. So make sure you're using it the way that works for your organization. And if you don't post for a while, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, there's all that concern of, oh my gosh, we can't post too much, and we can't do this. And blah, 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 blah. I mean, now you know only 4% of your supporters are seeing it anyways. So don't even worry about that either. Of like, I've posted twice in one week. <laughs> People are going to leave us. No. Calm down. No. And I look forward to everybody's every hour on the hour post for Colorado Gives Day. and wait in last year we did the subject line game so we need to do that again this year we need to do an episode on that in advance yes okay so stay tuned stay tuned um we want to hear from you always always and forever we want to hear the real (laughs) stories that are happening on the ground what happened to your organization last monday when um the social media universe shut down and um, what kind of pressures are you receiving from either leadership or board members around maintaining or modifying your social media presence? And what segment of TikTok are you on? <laughs> you can email us nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. You can follow us some days on Facebook and Instagram at nonprofitreframe. 
Oh, you're so witty. Um, and don't forget, please support your local nonprofits. Give and give generously and maybe do it online through their social media. But not through Facebook giving. Thanks, folks. <laughs> We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.